Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Paratruthers. This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons over on Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth. With their help, we are continuing to bring amazing new content to our listeners every week. So if you feel the urge to donate, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth, where you can just donate only a dollar and get some amazing rewards for your donation. Go check it out. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. Today we kick off a brand new series, and in this series we'll be discussing campfire stories. Of course, and particularly haunting campfire stories, because this is a paranormal radio show. Nah. (laughs) Now, we've done one of these episodes in the past. Um, Actually, we've done a couple of these episodes in the past. But this time around, we're going to have a couple of people on to, uh, to join us, tell us some of their stories, uh, people who've either encountered something on their own or know people who've encountered something and have been given the rights, basically, to share it. Uh, but today, Justin and I are on our own. And so I thought the best way to kick this off today is maybe just to more or less summarize what a campfire story is. Okay. So, I mean, when you look at the broad spectrum of stories and you think of the different historical books out there regarding stories and stuff like that, um, campfire stories typically come from a lighthearted nature of uh, mythology and legend. Mm. Uh, You think of this as like your good old fashioned urban legend stories, uh, you know, from good old times. Uh, the hook man was a big one when I was growing up. So was, uh, the candy man and, uh, bloody Mary. There's another one. Right. And so when you think of campfire stories, like I think a lot of people think of these type of things, people think of these more or less lighthearted. I mean, it's hard to say lighthearted because they're scary things. <laughs> if you ever tried any of them, uh, but these stories that are relatively common and popular, but we're taking a little bit different of a, uh, of a, uh, I guess of a spec on this because we're going to be talking about real life hauntings, uh, that people have encountered and basically relating them to you as a story. Uh, I think it's a good fun way to get to understand what people go through on a, I, I mean, I guess on a relatively regular basis for those who are being haunted, uh, and allow us a little insight as to what people are going through on a daily basis within the paranormal community. Yeah, I, I had kind of looked up some like typical campfire stories just to kind of 
look through and see like I came across the hook man um there's this one that I've never heard of called the ghost of rest haven and mm-hmm. there's a couple of, of other ones and it breaks it down into campfire stories and then campfire stories for children so I mean the first part must have been kind of way more scary than these ones for kids because it looks like uh yeah, it looks like it gets a little more lighthearted, if you will, with the mm-hmm. kids compared to the normal campfire stories. So I was think trying to think of stuff that through my lifetime I could sum up into a campfire story type deal. And the only things that I was kind of remembering was some of the stuff that I've already shared, like the uh, Jeffrey Dahmer house I've talked about. And I'm, I'm almost positive. I brought this up on the show is when I was younger, I was staying at my dad's house and thought I saw him standing in the archway and got up to, you know, go give him a hug and disappeared. Nobody there. And then my mind went to the Ouija board sessions that I had as a kid. And I don't think I've ever talked about these on air. And I'm not sure if I've ever shared a lot of them with you. So I figured I could probably talk about those as well. Did you come up with stuff just from your, I mean, stuff that you haven't necessarily shared on air? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got plenty of stuff. (laughs) <laughs> that I could share. <laughs> I haven't talked about. I mean, because, I mean, mind you, like a lot of my accounts go back to childhood, you know, when mm-hmm. I was back in Garfield and stuff. So there's a lot of stories that I can, I definitely have, and I will begin to share today. Uh, and of course, more throughout the series. So. All right. So the, I thought I would start this off with this one that I'm, I was remembering. It was, I was doing the Ouija board and it was at my my normal my mom's house uh where i usually used to stay and i was doing it with a cousin of mine and supposedly i, I don't know if she was moving it or if it was a ghost that was just playing a prank or what but um it was telling me that it was al capone and that supposedly it was going to tell me where his treasure was. And it it wouldn't give me any straight answers, which is why I think it was my cousin pushing the, the planchette, but I'm not 100% because she was saying no, she wasn't. And I, I never got an answer. But I kept getting this weird feeling like something wasn't right. So after ending it, I, I tried to to figure out, you know, was Al Capone's treasure ever found? Was what was there even Al Capone treasure? Uh, and I didn't come up with anything. And then there was another one I was thinking of of when I was doing it with my aunt at a family get together 
and we we were just asking random questions. And I said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question in my mind. Tell me the answer on the board. And the question was, is will I ever be able to fly without an airplane? And the answer was yes. Now, I guess that can be brought up to interpretation, but... One thing. Well, have you smoked weed since then? <laughs> I have never smoked weed, so. <laughs> well, then I guess it hasn't come true. <laughs> um, but I think we've had this discussion before, and the one thing that we've asked or, or we've talked about is if spirits can read minds, and <laughs> now for that particular instance, do you? Do you think it was just saying something t- that it thought I wanted it to say? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, if <clears throat> if it was indeed a spirit... Uh, I, I'm sorry, were you doing this one by yourself or was someone else with you with this when you... The no, this, w- this was with um, my aunt at, okay. on my mom's side. <clears throat> okay. So assuming that she wasn't pushing it around and it actually was a spirit, uh, I feel like this is still one of those cases in which the, the spirit may be either telling you something you want to hear or doing something uh, or saying something that maybe a kid would like to hear because I mean, every kid wants to fly, right, without any help. Um, but in the term, in regards to whether or not a spirit can read your mind, I still very strongly stand by no, the answer is no. And there's a reason behind that. And I'm not just saying that this is for anything. So if, if you believe that spirits are human, uh, that's fine. This is going to work even better in that case. Because if a spirit is human and you, don't you think that the spirit which is within us would also be able to read each other's mind? What gives it the power outside of the body that it doesn't have within the body? So just in that idea of the spectrum, like it, it doesn't make sense that a spirit would be able to read the mind. And I know people are going to say, well, this is another plane of existence. You know, you can see things that others can't, blah, 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 you know, but the fact is still there. Like you don't, there's no proof. Okay. It's true. There's no proof. So it could go either way. But when we're, when we're thinking about it in like a realist way, uh, it, it's important to just think about, okay, what is it that I can or cannot do personally that would allow me to do the opposite later on. Like what, what really changes? And the fact is that there shouldn't be anything that changes. There shouldn't be, because if a spirit could read your mind, it should also be able to manifest at will. It should be able to walk right into your door and say, Hey, I'm here. You know, it should have that power. So why is it given some powers and not others? It just doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, but then on top of that, in regards to like a biblical sense, it's very clear that the devil cannot read minds. That's that's only given to God. Uh, and so it's a godly thing. God himself possesses the power. No one else does. God is the only one that uh, the Bible strictly says is omniscient, which means all knowing. And that's that. OK. Last one that I was thinking of, and for some reason, I, I don't know if. I had done any other Ouija board sessions other than these three that I'm thinking of, but 
Uh, the other one I was thinking of was uh, I, I was, again, staying at my dad's house, and um, my st- stepmom, former stepmom, and I were using the board, and we were just getting some really weird answers, and uh, I can't remember any specific things that we were asking, but at one point it said, I can see you. I'm here. That's all I'm remembering. But I remember once we were done, I didn't want to go to bed. Like I was so freaked out by by the session that I was scared to to not like to be in the house. Mm-hmm. So those are the only three that I can remember. But the, that last one is the one that like kind of freaked me out, and I, I want to say I pretty much stopped using the Ouija board after that. And I mean, I know you and your sisters had a much more malevolent case that happened with the Ouija board, but I don't know. Maybe I was just a scary cat back then as much as I am now and I, that's what happened but um, yeah that's that was the last one that I can honestly remember and it that was the one that really freaked me out because it was just giving me uh, this weird vibe like this thing is, wants to hurt me mm-hmm. yeah I mean like, I think everybody has a different reaction to the paranormal especially when they first interact with it you know nowadays you have a different reaction than you did back then Mm. you know now you're an investigator you're more interested in what's really happening in these cases but back then when you're a kid and you're messing with the ouija board or you you don't have to be a kid i mean i hear plenty of stories of people who mess with the ouija board and it's either started something or has uh i guess enraged something in fact there's a story on television just the other day about a two kids who were being haunted by a shadow person within the woods and the father didn't really care one way or the other. He didn't believe them. But the mother started to realize something really was wrong. There were things happening that couldn't be explained. They were, they were finding bugs, uh, like giant beetles that should be in the woods in the kid's bed in the middle of the night. Uh, and stones and sticks and all that stuff. Didn't make sense. And so the woman ended up going and jumping into a Ouija board. She lit a couple of candles, asked a couple questions. Uh, nothing happened at all. And I think that's the first thing that's very important to understand is you don't need to have an interaction with the Ouija board uh, or using the Ouija board with the spirit. Simply asking that question or placing your hands on the board and hoping for something is enough to open that door. And all you need to do is open the door a little bit. Anyway, what happened was nothing happened. She got rid of the board. She put it away. And then within the coming weeks, it just became really bad where it started manifesting within the house, uh, started attacking the kids. Uh, the one kid broke both of his collarbones because he was so scared. He ran into a wall, uh, you know, just things like that. And eventually they moved out. And since then have, I think have either tried or succeeded in casting the, the spirit away. Um, but Ouija boards are a dangerous thing. I mean, I, I think you would agree. They're just, Mm. It's something we tell a lot of our listeners to just be aware of. Uh, Ouija boards 
even though they were once a game, as many of these occult objects were, uh, they transitioned, they become something more. And I think that has to do a lot with the belief regarding some of these things. Um, well, it's something I were, that, uh, I was told by Debbie from paranormal forum. We were talking about, uh, a, an episode I did on beyond reason with, uh, uh, Varla Ventura. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had mentioned something about using the Ouija board and how the we talked about like you and I have talked about the the modern day Ouija board is your digital recorder. And mm-hmm. uh, she had mentioned that the Ouija board has sigils on there that actually make it a more powerful tool, I guess, if you will. And that's why a lot of people. I shouldn't say a lot of people. She said, stay away from it because of the sigils on. I mean, it opens literally opens a doorway because of the sigils on the Ouija board. And I had never heard that before. And I, you know, I started thinking about it and it's like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense. I haven't done any research into it since she said that to me, but I, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, cause I was just saying, you know, just using the board, opens that doorway because you're, I mean, you're, you're intending you're to do your that. Mind. Yeah. yeah. But she's, well, she said, you know, it's way more powerful than just that. <laughs> and it very well could be, I mean, mind you that not all Ouija boards are alike. Uh, there's different Ouija boards with different symbols. There's some that have pentacles on them, some that have pentagrams, some that have the sun and the moon, some that have people on there. Uh, so it really depends because some of these sigils, I mean, I don't know what the sigils are that she's at talking about, but when you look at a modern Ouija board, uh, just a good old classic one, uh, you don't really see what you would consider sigils per se, other than like the moon and the sun for yes or no and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that's not to say that there isn't something embedded within it, which again, it's hard to say that. I, I mean, most of these people who make or companies that make Ouija boards don't make them strictly for the occult. They make them for gaming. You, these are things that are sold at your local toy store, you know, um, or at least the most basic ones are. So I don't know if there really is per se, like there are some out there for sure. You know, I mean, I'm looking at one right now that is just insane. Yes. <laughs> so many different sigils on it. It's amazing. You know, I see a couple of sigils that represent Christ, represent the devil, represent male and female and all these different things. Uh, some things are really creepy actually. Uh, you know, and, and this particular Ouija board also has pentacles and pentagrams and, uh, pyramids. They have the, the, waning and waxing of the moon you know all the different phases so i mean these are all things that certainly do have sigils that could create some type of power that helps to uh uh i guess to help empower the necromancer who's trying to summon these spirits i guess sticking on topic with the ouija board i'll go ahead and just bring it up because i know i mentioned it once uh, the story uh, but my sisters and I used to use the Ouija board quite a bit when we were kids. We used to take it to my grandparents' house and play with the Ouija board there. Uh, and, and one of the common themes was summoning some type of animal-like spirit. Uh, it would be a good spirit. It would talk to us. Uh, it, it would be come in the form of a number of different things. Come in the form of a dog, a raccoon, or something that's relatively normal, you know. 
and again, I don't know if somebody's pushing it or not pushing it. We, you know, who you can never be so sure, I guess. But we continued doing this for a while until it started getting angry. We started getting things that were just a little awkward or weird for kids to be getting, you know, when, when, when they're when they're playing with the game. So one night we ended up placing the Ouija board in a, in the, at the time, a computer room. Uh, we were there, we were, had all of our hands on it. We we're asking questions again and we kept asking, who are you? And it wouldn't move. And we asked, tell us your name. And it wouldn't move. Uh, we asked, are you there? And it tells us yes. And we ask again, what is your name? And it starts moving just kind of funny. Uh, and then it stops. And we keep asking questions. And as we ask questions, the planchette begins to heat up. It becomes really warm to the touch. So much so that it becomes so scary that we decided to break all contact with it because it got relatively hot, uh, which is really weird for a piece of plastic to become as hot as it did uh, just by placing your hands on there. And so once that happened... And we let it go. Of course, my mother found out and she ended up getting rid of the Ouija board because that was enough. Enough was enough. Uh, but since then, things really picked up within the home. You know, uh, things started moving around more. Uh, we started hearing footsteps creeping up the stairs more often. Now, we've, we've heard that kind of stuff most of our lives, uh, but everything picked up a bit. Um, and really, it, it really started this whole haunting basically you know that this and not, not like a f- full-fledged crazy this is going to be a movie type haunting uh but just little subtle things here and there you know something watching you from the bottom of the stairs uh something walking up the stairs something knocking on the door things like that and so yeah you know there, there's obviously and, and i think it's very common if you look up stories of people using ouija boards it's very common that these ouija boards tend to manifest some type of spirit creature you know yeah, well, and I think those are these are good stories to share because I mean, yeah, we we've kind of shared stuff in the past, but I don't think I've ever shared the the Ouija board stories with anybody. Um, so it's kind of a uh, deterrent idea, if you will, because I still feel that you should not be touching the Ouija board. I mean. Some people call it a tool. That's great. But the normal Joe Schmo or or kid, first and foremost, isn't going to be protecting themselves in any way, shape, or form. And secondly, I mean, do you really want that door open and stuff coming coming around your place? I mean, I, I personally don't. So, right. And so that's our stories regarding Ouija boards. And you've heard those in some of those in the past. You'll probably hear them again in the future. At least you'll hear us talk about the Ouija board because the Ouija board is one of the big things that we agree on. Um, but let me move on and do a new little story. And this is one that happened actually to my sister uh, when we were kids. Uh, relatively short story, but odd nonetheless. <clears throat> so we were probably around... 13, 12, 13 years old, I think. And it was maybe 
2.30 in the morning or so, I was sleeping, I sound asleep in my bed. Uh, but at the time, at 12 and 13, both of my sisters slept in one room, I slept in another. Uh, we were in the top floor of the house and our rooms were directly across from each other. Uh, our beds actually were in a position where we could see each other from one room to the other. We always kept our doors open. Uh, it was kind of like a safety net, if you will, uh, especially when you tend to get scared in a haunted house as right. a kid. Um, so this, this particular night I had my TV on, I often had my TV on every night, just all night long. It's kind of like my, uh, it would help me get to sleep. And then it would kind of be like the nightlight type thing. You know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, I'm sleeping, my TV's on and my sister, as she says, woke up in the middle of the night. Uh, I don't remember why she woke up. Unless she just woke up, you know, for whatever she had to use the bathroom or whatever. But she said she woke up, she looked across the hall, and she looked into my room, and there I was sitting up. I was sitting up in my bed, legs crossed, and I was just sitting there doing nothing. Uh, I don't know if my head was up or down or however, you know, is positioned. But she thought it was weird. Because it was, again, it was like 2.30 in the morning. I should have been sound asleep. And so she calls over to me. I don't answer. She calls over to me again. I still don't answer. So she stands up and she notices that I am somewhat translucent. Not exactly a physical form. And that's when she notices that I, myself, the real me, is lying in my bed sound asleep. And there was another version of me sitting just above me. And it freaked her out, naturally. She ran back into her bed and covered her head. And by the next time she looked, the apparition was gone. And the next morning, she told me the whole story. To this day, we still don't know what it was. Uh, we've heard a countless different ideas of what it could be. Uh, you know, we've heard the whole out-of-body experience thing. Uh, mm-hmm. We heard about, you know, the spirit. Uh, we heard about another spirit. Um mimicking, I guess, the look. Uh, it could have been a dream. It could have been, uh, you know, you get to that point where you wake up, you're groggy, and you think you see something that's not really there. You know, just your eyes aren't focused yet. You know, we've heard all these different things, but the fact still remains that we don't know what it was. But what we do know is that the house at the time, because mind you, it's not haunted now, because we know who lives there, because it's family. Yeah. None of them have experienced anything in the house. But we did. And we knew back then that the house was haunted. We learned later that my, uh, our parents, my mom and Justin's father, uh, were, uh, when they were kids growing up in that house, they too witnessed things in the basement, walking up the stairs, things that were unexplainable. So we have multiple, multiple accounts, which expand several Many years, you know, like two generations, basically, right. basically, of people who witnessed it, you know, our parents witnessing it when they were kids, then us witnessing it when we were kids. Um, and we don't know if there's anything that extends before that. We know so far nothing's ex- happened afterwards, after we left. But instead, we moved to the new house. And guess what happened? That house was haunted or became haunted. So it could have followed us or something like that could be attached. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just an interesting thing and does one of the more weird stories <laughs> that we certainly experienced. 
you know, as I, as I'm listening to you tell the your stories, I'm I'm trying to think of other ones that I went through, but I can honestly say the the only things that started happening were after I started using the Ouija board. I I mean, our basement was a it wasn't a furnished basement. It was a, a brick and cement floor basement. And it always freaked me out. But I, I don't remember ever seeing stuff down there or anything like that. Uh, I don't remember seeing dark figures or anything in the house. Nothing compared to what you guys have, have gone through. The only thing that I can remember happening is the one day I was walking down the street and I was walking home from school, actually. And I remember seeing this woman in a Victorian gown. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. So I, I walk past, turn again, and she's gone. Now, this is also around the time that I was about to start seeing a psychiatrist for depression. And... uh we had to fill out a questionnaire, and one of the questions was, have you ever seen anything that's not there? And I put yes. And my mom's like, what are you talking about? I'm, so I told her, and she's like, you can't tell them that. They're going to think you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's the only time I can remember. And this was after the whole Ouija board thing, but prior to that, I don't ever remember coming across anything other than, I mean, just feeling like creeped out, like in the bedroom that I grew up in, it was the beds were next to a window and the window had bushes that were not right next to, but there was like a small walkway in between the bushes and the window. And I would always feel like there was somebody standing there looking in the window. I never actually saw anybody, but always had that feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I guess you can say it, there might have been something there, but I never physically saw something with my eyes. Right. So. Yeah, and I think that's probably some of the most common hauntings that we've come across in all of our years investigating uh, and researching. And those are the ones where people don't necessarily see anything, but constantly feel something. Um and it's that something that really makes them unnerving. Uh, that's unnerving. Um, because you so much want to connect the dots, but there's no dots to connect, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I definitely think that's some of the most common uh, type of haunting. Maybe they're not even hauntings. I mean, they could just be passerbys, you know? I mean, can a ghost just simply pass by? Who knows? Uh, the Bible says that when an unclean spirit is cast out of its home, it'll travel the world seeking a place to stay and finding nothing, go back to its home. So who's to say that some of these spirits aren't just simply passing by? Uh, I know there's people who claim that that can't be for whatever reason. And that's why I think it's weird because some investigators uh, and researchers will say that a spirit once it's locked into a location, that's that's where it stays. It's like a manifestation within that area. You know, a house is haunted. Okay, you can't you can't cast it out. It remains haunted. But yet, some of these spirits tend to follow people home. 
Right. What happens when those spirits are then released or cast out? Do they go back to the place they came or are they free to go somewhere else? Big questions, very little answers. Uh, but nonetheless, I guess that's part of the industry or the, uh, yeah. call it an industry. You could call it an industry cause it some people now. are making money off yeah. of it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, who knows? Was there any others you can think of for your side? So there was another time for, for me, uh, another story. And again, I'll have more in the future, but I'll, I'll finish off my stories here for this episode uh, with this one. And this one has happened on uh, New Year's Eve. I want to say it was maybe around 2000. 2001, maybe something like that, 1999, somewhere in there. Uh, Me and several of our cousins were in the room, uh, my bedroom. We were sitting around the the floor as me, both my sisters, and two or three cousins. Uh, I don't remember exactly which ones. But we were all sitting there telling ghost stories. Go figure. Ghost stories is kind of a big thing that runs in our family. We like telling ghost stories. So we're telling ghost stories. We can hear our parents down in the base or down in the kitchen talking as they always did super loud as they always are when they're together. Uh, but we're in my room. I've got a single light on a little lamp. Uh, just one of those flip on flip off lamps. You know, you've got the little switch on there that you click. And so we're telling ghost stories and I forget who it was. It was one of my cousins. I think that was telling the ghost story at the time. And so he's telling the story and everything seems relatively normal and he gets to kind of the punchline. And when he does, my lamp begins to flicker the bulb and not like the flicker where it's about to blow up. You know, those type of flickers are like super fast and you can kind of see it and kind of can't. Yeah. This was one of those like turns on, turns off, turns on, turns off type of flickers. You know, it's very clear. It's never done that before ever. The bulb wasn't loose. The plug wasn't loose. Everything was just as it should be on your typical lamp working fine and yet there's this weird flicker during this ghost story all of us got scared and i don't know if we got scared just because it was the light or maybe we all felt something within there with us but we all darted back down into the kitchen and that's where we stayed the rest of the night we didn't go back and of course i was too scared to go back into my room that night but nonetheless i did um and that's a very short story, but it's just a weird coincidence. If it was a coincidence. Right. You would, you would think that if it was, since it coincides with something that was kind of scary, it almost makes you, you, you wonder. Cause I mean, you and I, I think are both in agreement. There's, there's really no such thing as a coincidence per se. Right. But um, it, it's interesting, nonetheless. Now, I, I, yeah, I can't come up with anything else. <laughs> okay, well, that's all right. Um, I mean, the good thing is, we next week we have a guest who will be joining us. We'll do that, uh, and then we're going to be coming back to some of our stories and some others that we that we've come across. Uh, people who we know who are going to share with us, uh, and then other stories that we've just happened to come across throughout the years. Uh, I'll have a couple more of my own stories to tell, 
one which I think you'll be you'll find very interesting, and that is uh, in regards to a haunted object. Uh, we all love haunted objects, and this is <laughs> one of those good ones. This is a big one within my family. Everybody knew about. Uh, really creepy, and I still have the object to this day. So I'm looking forward to telling you guys about this one because he's still still creepy as all heck. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break here. You've been listening to Paratruth Radio. We'll be right back right after this. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. There are spirits everywhere, watching, waiting, seeking that opportune time to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. Go away. Go. I, I got it. I got it. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? Someone give me Brian Anderson. What's up, folks? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we have been talking about ghost stories, in particular, campfire stories. Now, some of these campfire stories today have been coming from yours truly, Justin and myself, uh, from real-life experiences that we both had. Some include the Ouija board. Others include other ghost stories, and some visions of spirits within our beds. But we're just about out of all of our stories for today. We'll have more in the future, in the coming episodes. But I think the next thing we want to do, and I think a nice transition here, what we're going to do is go ahead and talk about some of our favorite classic ghost stories or campfire stories. And these are the classics that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. If you were not tuning in at the beginning of the show well, lucky for you, we're going to say it all again anyway. So, <laughs> Otherwise, you can go back to the beginning of the show because you missed some good stories. Um, so, Justin, I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to you first because I know you do have at least a couple that you always really liked growing up. Uh, and I think this is like – here's the thing about old campfire stories and urban legends is once you hear them as a child, they kind of stick with you. Yeah. And some might say that they might even mold you, you know, and for you and I, it maybe it did because here we are in the paranormal for the last 
10, 11 years, you know, working. Um, and I, I think it's clear to say that experiences really do mold you. So let's go ahead and hear what some of your favorites were and what maybe types of effects it had on you. All right. So you heard us talk about the, the hook man. Now I'm going to relay this cause this is one of my all time favorites. Uh, a young couple went to the movies and stopped at the local lover's lane for some kissing. The boy turned on the radio to set the mood. Just as he reaches his arms around his girlfriend, a news bulletin warns of an escaped murderer who is a hook for a right hand. The man had escaped from a facility for the criminally insane. The boy thinks it will be funny to tease his girlfriend to scare her. He begins to tell her he is sure they are in a place the escape E might choose to hide. He goes on and on, terrifying his girlfriend. He hoped she would throw herself into his arms for comfort. However, his plan backfires. His girlfriend insists they leave right away. Reluctantly, the boy drives his girlfriend home. When she gets out, she begins yelling and faints. The young man jumps out and runs out, runs around the car. There on her door handle is a bloody hook. Now, I've heard numerous variations on this story uh one of which is there's a scratching on the the doors of the car and it was supposed to be this guy's buddy because he had somehow knew about this before so this is one that's kind of always stuck with me just because it's kind of scary in the sense that it's almost believable at least today and, and maybe back then as well. But that that's kind of why this one is kind of stuck with me because it is a classic and it's one that I, I mean, still to this day brings goosebumps to my arms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I think why it stuck with me is not only is it a it's a short story, but it's also one that is so well written that it's it's passed down from generation to generation. And it uh, it's just that memorable. Right. OK, so then there's another one that has always stuck with me, and it's about a ghostly girl and it it goes something like this johnny left his friend's house late at night and headed home dark down the dark country roads it began to rain suddenly johnny saw the blurry image of a woman in a long white dress walking down the middle of the road johnny had to stop so he asked the woman the young woman if she needed a ride without saying anything she got in and sat in the front seat Since she was shivering, Johnny took off his coat and put it over her shoulders. After a few miles, the girl indicated again without speaking that she needed to get out at an old house. Johnny stopped the car and the girl opened the door. Johnny rolled down the window to ask for his coat back, but the girl was gone. He left his car and walked to the door. An older woman answered and explained that he had forgotten to get his jacket from the young woman he had just dropped off at the house. The woman began crying and explained to Johnny that her daughter on this evening, 10 years previously was on the way to her prom when she was killed in a car accident. 
she was buried in the cemetery up the road in the exact spot where Johnny had picked her up. The next day, Johnny drove to the cemetery to confirm the woman's story. There on the grave of a young girl was Johnny's jacket. And, I mean, I think this one has always stuck with me just because I've always been interested in the paranormal, and this is a ghost story, ghost, ghost story. So I think that's why it's always stuck with me. Um, and um, we had on Lewis, who had uh, done a, a movie about a lady in white. And I, I think it's kind of a common story, too, but he did a really good job with, with the the story of that movie. So mm-hmm. I, I think it was a interesting... I, I, and I don't know. Did do you know if he based it on something like this, or was it something he kind of was coming out of the air for himself? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, the lady in white. You know, the whole idea of picking up a stranger on the side of the road, her being a ghost, and then coming back to kill you. I mean, that's some of the, one of the, obviously one of the basic legends. And then he tried to put a different spin on it. You know, obviously, as many I think filmmakers do, because you get that creative ability or freedom most of the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously it comes from the legends. Okay. All right. Some, some of your favorites. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if favorites is the right word. <laughs> They're more okay, scars. One or, that have stuck with you, I guess. <laughs> one of the stories, probably the number one story that just really disgusts me. And it's probably part of the reason why I have arachnophobia nowadays. Uh, is the one called the spider bite or the red spot. And I tell you that to this day, I find a red spot on my arm. I freak out because <laughs> I know it's probably just a mosquito bite, but dude, then you remember this darn urban legend <laughs> and it's just, yeah, reality sets is gone. <laughs> She's like, okay, anyway, let's go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and share this story for those of you who may not have heard it. And if you have, here's a refresher. So one night, a young girl was sleeping in her bed when a sputter crawled across her face. It stopped for a few minutes on her left cheek. Then it went on its way. When she woke up the next morning and looked in the mirror, she noticed a red spot on her cheek. What's this? She asked her mother. It looks like a spider bite, her mother replied. It will go away. Just don't scratch it. Soon the small red spot grew into a big red boil. Look at it now, the girl said. It's getting bigger. That sometimes happens, her mother said. It's coming to a head. In a few days, the red spot was even larger. Look at it now, the girl said. It hurts so much and it makes me look so ugly. We'll have a doctor look at it, her mother said. Maybe it's infected. But the doctor couldn't see the girl until the next day. That night, she decided to take a nice relaxing bath. As she lay soaking in the warm water, the boil suddenly burst. Out poured a swarm of tiny spiders from the eggs their mother had laid in her cheek. Yeah. The end. Yeah. So here's the first thing. <laughs> Supposedly, this can't happen. Okay. The body will fight the infection or whatever like that, and it just won't happen. I think it's more likely that a spider is not going to go and bury whatever in your face. I think that's more likely because we know for a fact that bugs can get into you and not be hurt. Ticks, Mm. mosquitoes, 
worms, bot flies, bot flies. <laughs> so nasty. I never watched one of those again. That was a mistake. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, there is a reality to this. Like, this stuff could happen. And I think that's what freaks me out. Like, I wish. So, I've heard, like, the stories. There, there's only been, like, one or two stories because it's extremely rare. But, like, a kid getting an ear infection because there's a spider that was in it. Two spiders that were in his ears. They both died in his ears. But I'm just like, I, I need to start plugging my ears <laughs> when I go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> wear a mask to protect my nose and face or mouth and i should be pretty good well but i'm good there i wear a cpap machine so they're not getting my mouth go. and nose <laughs> there you go yeah. uh, so creepy so yeah that's that's one that scarred me <laughs> so one of the other big uh urban legends for me when i was a kid which was just really weird was an urban legend called the licked hand because it was just weird. <laughs> so the story goes that a young girl is home alone for the first time with only her dog for company. Listening to the news, she hears of a killer on the loose. Terrified, she locks all the doors and windows. But either the basement window or some other window in the house will not lock. And she ends up going to bed, taking her dog to the room with her and letting it sleep under her bed. She wakes up in the middle of the night to hear a dripping sound coming from the bathroom. The dripping noise frightens her, but she's too scared to get out of bed to find out what it was. To re reassure herself, she reaches a hand toward the floor for the dog and is rewarded by a, by a reassuring lick on her hand. She lies awake, listening to the dripping sound. Each time, it's really hard to read these guys. Each time she feels frightened, she reaches for the dog on the floor and feels a lick on her hand. Now, eventually, she falls asleep. The next morning, when she wakes, she goes to the bathroom for a drink of water, only to find her dead, mutilated dog hanging in the shower with his body, with his blood slowly dripping into the tiles. On the shower wall, written in the dog's blood, are the words, Humans can lick too. This is one of those <laughs> where you decide when you're scared you don't look under the bed. When your hands or feet are sticking out of the covers, you pull them back in <laughs> just in case something. And this, there, there's many different versions of this story. Um, you know, you got you got the killer. Some of th this is very similar in a way to the boogeyman stories as well, lurking under your bed. Uh, you know, things like that. But yeah, the the ending I remember is on on the mirror. It was written that wasn't your dog. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So those are probably the two that were some of the most familiar that I remember uh, and heard multiple times growing up. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that you and I wanted to talk about to kind of wrap up today's episode was probably the most famous legend of all. Uh, and this is one that is not so much a story per se, but an action that a person takes. Mm. And that is the legend of Bloody Mary. Now, the idea is that you walk into the bathroom with a single candle that's lit. Now, you can, in modern times, you can use a little flashlight or something like that. But ideally, you walk in there with just a candle. 
You close the door behind you, keep the lights off, you look directly in the mirror at yourself, and you say Bloody Mary three times in a row. If you say it three times in a row, supposedly you summon the ghost of Bloody Mary. You can see her in the mirror. You can find claw marks on your face or on your body, or you can feel something brushing your neck. So the question is, where did this story come from? And why did it become so popular? Well, the legend goes back to many different women. Yeah. <laughs> After I started looking at uh, looking this up, I was like, well, then who is it? Because <laughs> from, from my memory, the only person that I ever remember finding um, that was somehow linked to it was Elizabeth Bathory, who... Right. A lot of vampire legends are linked to and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And then the uh, legend of Mary Worth. Now, Mary Worth was a witch who lived in Chicago around the time of the Civil War. She used to catch runaway slaves and keep them chained up in her barn. Then she would use them in her diabolical black magical black magic rituals. Eventually, the locals took the law into their own hands and burned Mary Worth at the stake. Her charred remains were supposedly buried in St. Patrick's Cemetery. Mary mm-hmm. Worth is the other one that I've always heard um, who who Bloody Mary is. But there's right. like at least there's a lot. 10. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mary, actually, Mary Tudor was one that I had heard about too. And she was uh, basically received the nickname Bloody Mary because she ordered the violent execution of numerous Protestants and burned countless people at the stake uh, for heresy during her five-year reign. Uh, she was also supposedly unable to have uh, children and suffered two phantom pregnancies, uh, which is why many people speculated that there was a reason for chanting I stole your baby I stole your baby became tangled up within the legend itself. Um, but some of these other ones like Mary Worthington, Mary Wales, Mary Weatherby, Mary Lou, Mary Johnson, Hell Mary. And, uh, who names their kid Hell? I don't know. <laughs> Kidding, guys. Sparta Madam. I mean, some of these are just ones I've never actually heard of. Um <sighs> Wow, I mean, there's so many, dude. Queen of Spades, Veronica is another version of the Bloody Mary. Queen of Spades is a version of Bloody Mary. Uh, I'm sorry I can't speak Japanese, but that's another version, and that looks really scary. Um, And then, of course, the biggest one, which actually is probably more popular for me than Bloody Mary, was Candyman. Uh, And Candyman is another urban legend that was inspired by Bloody Mary. And you basically do the same exact thing. You walk into the bathroom, you say Candyman three times in the mirror, and supposedly you feel his claw brush the back of your neck, uh, which scientifically people have come to determine if you do it correctly, your heart rate jacks up and the hair on the back of your neck stands up, making you believe that there's actually a claw or a hook uh, rubbing up against your neck. So um, there's a lot of different uh, versions of the story. Uh, and they go back to the original story and they've been portrayed in movies and television shows. You name it. Bloody Mary's become probably one of the most, if not the most famous of urban legends ever to exist. 
Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's it's just odd that nobody can pinpoint where it really came from either. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, most modern urban legends have a set in stone uh, origin. So, mm-hmm. and the one thing that I was seeing here too is there's even a story of a witch that goes back to Salem that supposedly it's based on as well. So just really weird and interesting all at the same time too. Cause it's just, I, I think it's one that almost everyone, at least around our age had tried to play at one right. point or another. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe the kids still are doing it. I, I don't have kids, so I don't know, but, um, so yeah, interesting stories. And I mean, several of them go back to a a ghost or ghostly figure like the Lady in White, Bloody Mary. Um, Now that you said the spider one, now I'm going to have dreams of spiders (laughs) bursting out of my face, even though I'm not Mm -hmm. afraid of spiders. (laughs) But uh, so definitely interesting stuff. Um, next week we are going to be continuing this. Uh, we're actually going to be bringing on Caleb Lycan. He has his own podcast as well as has these different tales that people have elated to him, uh, of scary or, or spooky in nature type stories. So definitely make sure you're staying tuned in next week. And that's all we got for you guys this week. So until next week, where you'll find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.